Today, we would like to thank our healthcare technology sponsor to know, DSS. With over 25 years of experience, DSS is a healthcare technology company that empowers providers to perform at their best and give patients the level of care they deserve. Juno EHR is thoughtfully designed by experienced healthcare professionals to deliver on the promise of modern EHR technology. Again, we would like to thank our healthcare technology sponsor to know, DSS. Hello and welcome to the Becker's Healthcare. Oh, excuse me, I need to put my screen up there. We'll try one more time. Okay. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Becker's Healthcare HIT plus RCM virtual forum. We are so excited to have you join us for today's session titled The Next Frontier of EHRs and Patient Data. Hospitals and health systems have spent the past decade installing and optimizing electronic health records. As technology has evolved, there are a myriad of new possibilities to harness the true power of EHRs and data for better outcomes and more seamless clinician and patient experience. I'm Lauren Deirda with Becker's Healthcare and I'll be your moderator for today's panel. It is my pleasure to introduce our panelists to you. We have Dr. Michael Pfeffer, Assistant Vice Chancellor and CIO of UCLA Health Sciences and Dr. Chris DeFlitch, Chief Medical Information Officer at Penn State Health. Um, before we begin our discussion, I want to turn the floor over to our panelists to tell them, tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. So, uh, Michael, could you begin? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so, as you mentioned, I serve as the Chief Information Officer for UCLA Health Sciences, um, and um, I'm also a, a internist hospitalist. So I um, occasionally get to see patients on the floor and uh, use the technologies that we worked so hard to put in place. And uh, I've really gotten to see over the last uh, more than 10 years, truly a transformation in the way technology is used. Uh, so I'm very excited to be here, thank you. Fantastic, and we're looking forward to our discussion. Uh, Chris, can you tell us a little about your background as well? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Chris DeFlitch, uh, I'm uh, an emergency physician. Uh, so, uh, like Mike, I actually get to practice. Uh, my shift is tomorrow. I do every Thursdays, uh, taking care of patients in the uh, Milnes Hershey Medical Center in, in Hershey, PA. Um, I actually get to serve um, our health system uh, as uh, vice president and chief medical information officer. I've been in uh, uh, informatics and CMIO type roles before there were such things as CMIOs and uh, you know informatics and that whole world. So lucky enough to have uh, grown up and, and learned a lot from the way olden days of, uh, actually, I remember writing orders on paper, God forbid, um, and nowadays that we're doing uh, things uh, all just about electronically and then, you know, looking into the future of what, uh, what healthcare IT uh, has for, in store first. Fantastic. Well, let's cut to the chase. What will EHRs look like 10 years from now? Uh, Chris, I'd love your perspective, and then we'd love to hear from Michael as well. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thought. I, I think, you know, uh, COVID's given us an opportunity to think about things just a little bit differently. Um, I've always said uh, that, you know, the, the EMRs or the EHRs are the lab information systems of the past. Um, you know, uh, those of us who have been doing this for a while remember when it was the holy grail to actually automate your, your lab line. And, oh, my goodness, you could actually get a, a laboratory value without running down to the lab to find out what the results were. Um, that was game-changing at the time. And now we don't even think of LISs as something that is groundbreaking or changing. They're still doing wonderful things in LISs, 
but then we, you know, the next holy grail was the EMR. Well, EMRs are a commodity now, you know, functionally. Uh, everybody has it. They've done things in many different ways, depending upon systems and things. And really what we should be thinking about is the use of that data, like we did with LIS and how do we use the laboratory results? How do we use the data that's collected within electronic records for the betterment of our, our patients and our care? I think most of us who went into informatics uh, back in the day and, and even now are caring about the, the healthcare delivery and the healthcare delivery systems. And how can we use um, information, uh, not just the data, right? We want to convert data to information. So what do I see for EMRs in the past? Uh, they're a commodity where data is going to get uh, introduced and maybe using other tools to advance knowledge out of the data that's collected. And maybe we can get to the point where clinicians can be clinicians and not data entry clerks uh, and actually use this data for the betterment of our individual one-on-one -on -one patient evaluations or better yet our populations at large. Yeah, I totally agree, Chris. I, I think um, getting data into the uh, hands of clinicians and patients in a way that's usable and smart, I think is gonna happen. Um, we use, we often use terms like patient-centered and provider-centered, potentially for EHRs, but I really believe that is where it's gonna go, that we're really going to start to hear words like intuitive and fun with um, technology that providers and patients get to use rather than words that I probably can't repeat here. Um, but think about it, like technologies in terms of ambient uh, uh, listening. So you don't have to actually type notes anymore and you capture the real conversation between the patient and the physician. Um, ability to really have a conversation with the electronic health record to uh, dictate your orders and retrieve information. Um, we've already seen a boom in uh, telehealth since COVID, but take that to the next level. So what are we gonna do with sensors and technologies to really make it a more immersive experience for our providers and patients uh, using the electronic health record? But it's gonna get more intuitive as our technologies get better around AI, ML, and I know we're gonna talk about that, but natural language processing. And uh, really, I'm hoping we get to the point where it's mobile, it's fun, it's there when you need it, and it's really tailored to the way uh, you work. I, I think clinicians, um, what, one of the great things about, uh, you know, kind of going through training and, and watching different attendings and, and, and residents work is they all develop a style. And so the EHRs really need to uh, be able to be tailored to the styles. We, we can't have a one size fits all for everybody. So I think we're gonna get there more and more. You know, they're customizable today, but really to the next level of how people work. Got it. I think that's a great point by both of you in terms of looking at where the EHR has been and how it's come along and then really making it into something that clinicians are excited about and really, you know, feel like it's a, an advantage to them and helping them treat their patients better. Um, and I love your point there, uh, Michael, about, you know, having it be something that um, the clinicians are able to really um, get more out of. So thank you so much for going through that. And, you know, to your point on artificial intelligence and machine learning, how is that being integrated into EHRs today? Um, I would love both of your perspectives. I don't know if you have any experience with that or if it's something that's on the horizon that you're excited about. I'd just love to hear where you see um, artificial intelligence and machine learning evolving within uh, this space. Uh, maybe I'll start on this one, Chris. Uh, you know, I think at least our experience at UCLA Health, 
is uh, using uh, algorithms derived from artificial intelligence and machine learning type of principles around processes that we could uh, do better on, whether it's identifying patients at higher risk for readmission or understanding how to better tailor our, our transfer center list so that we bring in the patients that really need our quaternary care services. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities around kind of uh, really process improvements, um, taking it to the, and population health, taking it to the next level of, of real-time clinical decision support, I think is a challenge. Um, and I think we have a lot to learn there. Everything from how do you present the data to clinicians so it's not black or white. We need to look at um, biases and how that's gonna impact the different algorithms and as well as performance. So one of the things I worry about is the electronic health record slowing down. And as you add model after model to uh, large, uh, that require large amounts of data, you can begin to see performance decline. So all of those things really coming together, we do have experience with it. And I'm excited that we are gonna have some really, really incredible uh, kind of decision support tools for our clinicians in the future. Yeah, I think Mike, you bring up the, the, the point um... There's so many catchphrases in healthcare IT, right? AI is the big thing and, and you know, machine learning and, and you know, all these things. And, and ultimately, what is it? What are we doing? We're, we're using technology. We're using um, the, the powers of the computing to be able to learn from the data. That's, that's all this is, right? There's a bunch of catchphrases. That, and Mike points out for us as clinicians, it's clinical decision support. It's take all this data that's out there apply it to something that's known and make it usable for people who are caring for people, whether it's I'm caring for a population as a care manager and I really need um, exposed to where are my highest risk patients that I really need to reach out to. I, I think um, you know, this whole category uh, of, of AI, whether it's machine learning or natural language processing or, or these technologies, they're enablers, right? And they're taking away the uh, done well, and well, the administrative burden that has been cast upon uh, physicians and other clinicians for periods of time. I think as we look at, look into the future, you know, the benefit of these things is to allow physicians, allow nurses, allow respiratory therapists to work at the top of their license, not to be able to be data clerks, not to be able to be searching 15 minutes for something inside of this, is to allow us to do what, we, what we're passionate about, and that's caring for people, right? At the end of the day, that's what healthcare is. Healthcare is people, and sometimes technology really gets in the way, but I see the future of this, as Mike points out, whether it's ambient knowledge and conversation that occurs, it produces in one way to allow me to get paid, but produces in another way that allows me to get insight from my patients, or as we're privileged enough to, to do this telehealth and I have an interaction with patients in their home, what a valuable experience that is, right? I mean, it's unbelievable to, for me to be in their house. Boy, doesn't that sound like 1850s or something, right? This year, people that are, we're coming back to the future, but it's that technology. It's that knowledge sharing that's gained out of the data that's gonna allow us to do that in a way that, that if done correctly, will be more effective and efficient for the people we care for. So I completely agree with Chris, and I want to add on one of the really cool things that how it relates to uh, the first question you asked, and that is, if you know we get to the point where EHRs 
are really more intuitive and fun. We're gonna collect better little data. And if we collect better little data, then these algorithms that require big data are even gonna be better. And so I think we, we can't overlook the fact that we know the little data in the electronic health record has a lot of opportunity to get better. And uh, so I'm excited to see that happen as well and really see these algorithms be able to harness uh, correct uh, big data. Yeah, you know, and you're you know, right on, but we could talk about this forever. The, it's really the clinicians who get that little data, right? It's us who have that relationship with the person who are able to gather that information such as be collected and then managed in a different way. So again, it gets back to the point where, boy, if we could spend our time doing the things that we wanna do, that makes a big difference in healthcare IT as well as a delivery system. That's a great point. I wanted to follow up on um, something you both have said in terms of delivering the information to clinicians. Um, where, you know, is the perfect, um, or what in your mind, I guess, would be the perfect way to display this information? How, you know, where are we now and what do we need in order to be more effective in communicating with clinicians about the data and the information and making sure they get the right information um, that they need to act upon? Yeah, I, well, here's, here's part of the challenges of healthcare delivery systems. If you've seen one physician's preference, you've seen one physician's preference. <laughs> you know, especially in academic centers, there's a lot of things that are going on at a, at a high level, right? And there's a lot of advanced thinking and even our community practices, there's, there's some really advanced thinking, but there are different patterns of practice, right? There's, they're, they're knowledgeable and, and we need to value those pieces of it. So I'm not sure you can automate everything and I'm not sure there's quote a perfect way to do it. I think it, it's, it's that adaptive nature of it. It's that user interaction and interface that allows me to practice in a way that my patients expect and that it accomplishes the goal of what we need to do for their healthcare. Might be a little bit different in this area of the country or that area in the country or maybe in a different patient population or in a, diff in a different culture. And that's where the human interplay comes in. That's really the most important thing. You know, the technology can allow us to do a little bit of difference, but, uh, you know, people talk about standardization and they talk about, you know, cookie cutter and moving across. And I think there are opportunities for standardization. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I think that value of the variability really is the honor that we have to care for diverse populations. And if we don't honor that diversity, you know, shame on us. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great answer. And um, two things I'll add to that is, you know, the ability for our, our users of the EHR. So in this case, it's, it's not only just uh, clinicians, it's also um, patients, the ability to customize it so that they can get the information that they want to see. And maybe we help them customize it. So maybe the, the algorithms are more around how you use it. And here are some suggestions on you know, ways to visualize it rather than, you know, you just flip switches on and off. The other thing about uh, data visualization is, you know, you can interpret things in medicine as, as, as yes or no, on or off, you know, present, not present. But most of the time it's, you know, we think it's there, we don't think it's there and you have to kind of put it together with everything. And so how we end up displaying results of uh, machine learning algorithms or other type of decision support, it really has to be thoughtful about not being so, you know, uh, black and white in terms of, you know, you have it or you don't, order this test or you don't, but rather be able to visualize it in a way that really understands kind of what data you're using, what data may be missing, how that would 
influence the algorithm's output if that data had been there so that clinicians can make a better decision because we, 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 don't, we don't just want blind following of, of data. It's, it's kind of the old adage that the EHR plus the physician or the data plus the physician is greater than simply the data or the physician by themselves. Yeah, that, that, that concept of data in context is really at the core, right? So what I look at as an emergency physician is different than what you look at as an internist, different than a cardiologist. It's different than an interventional cardiologist. It's different than an electrophysiologist, right? We all have a context in which our areas of specialty can be facilitated by the data we view. And I carry that even forward to patients, right? So the whole area of consumerism is really that same principle, right? Put it in context of what the patient might be able to handle or could need or facilitates that virtual visit uh, with them. So the concept of data in context is really something that I think requires some carrying forward in, in healthcare IT. That's a great point in thinking about the data aspect of it and who needs what type of data, not only the clinicians, but the patients and, and really understanding how to deliver that the best in the best way possible to them and in the easiest experience possible as well. I'm wondering um, from both of your perspectives, you know, looking at the way technology is evolving and the potential for it in the future is really exciting, but the other side of it is looking at the cost that it will take not only to purchase the technology, but then to implement it correctly and, and make sure there's buy-in and those kinds of things. And so, uh, Chris, I was wondering if you could speak to that, and then I'd love to hear from you, Michael, as well, in terms of how you're thinking about these costs and what really um, you're weighing when you're, you're looking at what new technology will come first and, and how to um, make sure it's implemented correctly. Yeah, that's a question. Um, I, think, I think there's, there's actually costs. There's opportunity costs. There's capital costs. There's, there's cost in time, you know, things that we capture and things we don't capture. Um, I, I think we're all struggling a bit in the, in the peri and post-COVID area from a systems perspective. Um, you know, a lot of the groups went through the meaningful use slash promoting interoperability world where if you didn't have, you know, basic uh, electronic records technology that you had the opportunity to, to move in that direction. That, that era has passed. And now we've gone through COVID where if we did have any margins at all, they were way gone uh, in the area of COVID, right? And so we really need to look for value. And the question is, what is that value? Are you gaining the value out of the initial systems that you've made significant investment on and added on technologies that would allow you to do that? For us, that's what we're looking at. But I think more importantly, it's the opportunity cost. It's the cost that, um, how much time is a physician spending doing stuff that, boy, they could be doing something different? Or how's I'm a nurse who's taking care of her? How population? So that opportunity cost, the total cost of ownership as it, as it relates to technology is really significant. And if you really want to be significant about it, what does it cost our society? What does it cost patients who have to come, you know, for a 40-mile drive to a specific specialist to see them to say, yeah, it looks like you might have this. Can you go get this test, this test, and this test, and I'll see you back, right? Boy, why can't we do some of those things virtually? Or why can't we, you know, have some decision-making tools that cross specialties that may help primary care or, or other people in, in other communities help tee that up? So for me, it goes back to that data in context. And I think the drivers now, where they may have been meaningful use or they may have been other things, I think the drivers are consumerism now. I, I think that, that the public 
and, and the patients really have the power. I'm not sure it's realized yet, but they do. And if they haven't figured it out in COVID, it's pretty evident, right? We become all telehealth providers, whether we like it or not. That's been something that we have to do. I love it. I think it's the best thing in the world. I think we can close lots of gaps in care. I think we can provide care virtually in many ways. That's driven out of the consumer need. Uh, maybe COVID started it with a little bit more, but it's driven out of consumer need. So I would say when we're talking about costs, we're really talking about cost to society and really how the change gets happening and it, it's happening with the consumers. Yeah, I, I love the word value, Chris, because I think that's what it's all about. You know, the technology is a cost, right? And, and we're not gonna get around that. Um, in fact, I have a, a whole uh, kind of position that we call strategic finance that's whole job is to figure out how do we do better in terms of our cost for IT. And, and the idea being, you know, how do we lower our unit cost of IT and we, we can use different uh, denominators for that, whether it's uh, patient bed days or uh, revenue or operating expense, whatever it is. Um, we've spent a lot of time over the last few years really driving down the uh, unit cost of IT by looking at everything that we purchase, working very closely with our vendor partners and uh, really deeply understanding what value we get out of our systems. Because ultimately, you know, as Chris is saying, if, if, if we're spending money on things that provide little value, then it really is a cost. But if we're providing significant value with something, even though there's a cost, uh, you're going to see healthcare organizations embrace it. And it, it kind of goes, it, it, to me, it all goes back to the physician or clinician patient relationship. The more we make that happen, the better care is, the better people do. Um, it, it's it's just the way it's just the way it is. So the more we can have technology continue to enforce uh, the pay, the uh, physician patient relationship, the better we're going to do, and the more value we're going to get from our technology. I, and that goes to automating away a lot of um, unnecessary processes and such. So I I think there's a lot of opportunity now. But everything we do, I really think has to have that value lens on it. Uh, it's not just putting in a new tool or gadget or app. It's, is there going to be value there? And if there isn't, then we turn it off and, and we find the next uh, thing that, that we believe is going to provide value. So a, a very, very important um, area in terms of uh, cost of IT and, and the value. Fantastic. Thank you both for going through that with me. I think that's a great way to put it and, and think about the idea of health IT and new technology really adding value in, in overall to the organization. Um, now, before we, you know, wrap up our conversation, I want to touch a little bit about on patient data um, and specifically looking at some of the different um, challenges that you're coming across in terms of managing the patient data um, how you're gathering more information about patients and some of the risks involved with that. So, uh, Michael, I'd like to start with you on this one. Um, how are you really managing and scaling up the type of data that you're gathering on patients and making sure you have the ability to do that? Um, and what are some of the risks that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I there's, um, you know, the patient data is, is obviously sacred and, you know, one of our cherished uh, assets that we get to share with our patients. Uh, to take care of them. So ultimately, you know, it's, it's a real privilege to be able to uh, house that information so that we can provide care. Um, obviously, we want to do it safely, and that means that anywhere the data uh, is needed is protected. 
and uh, we spend a lot of time uh, on our cybersecurity uh, platform and ensuring that data is uh, as safe as it can possibly be. And then accessible. So that's the other piece. You can lock it down and put it away and then no one can ever get it. And sure, it's really, really safe, but that also wouldn't be good for society or the communities we take care of, right? The, the data needs to drive innovation, drive research, drive discovery in healthcare to improve society. So, you know, it goes back to making it safe. So one of the things we're working on, for example, that'll be wrapping up in March is a, a completely cloud-based uh, HIPAA compliant environment with a uh, fully de-identified uh, version of our EHR data set for our researchers to be able to access in a safe way where data can't be taken from the platform, but all the tools that you need to do uh, for machine learning or analysis or, or whatever is in the platform. So it's an example of a safe way to make data accessible such that um, we can uh, improve the health of our communities through research and discovery. So I think that's really, really important, obviously all framed within a uh, cybersecurity uh, framework that is absolutely critical to safeguarding this data. Yeah, I think you're right on. I mean, it's, it's the, 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 the real activity, the real uh, protection uh, around data, uh, especially in the cyber world is something different than we've all had over the last five years. I mean, to the point where my son's actually studying cybersecurity at Penn State. Um, you know, it is uh, the future related to it. It is the Wild West out there in some cases, and we need those police who are out there doing it. But I look at it again, go back to the, the consumerism. Um, I've always been a big advocate to say, it's not our data, it's the patient's data. And sometimes patients are real comfortable with that concept and, and they're ready to receive it and they, they're interacting and, and they're owning it. And, and then in some cases they're not, right? So I think as we move forward with, with the consumerism, our challenges in managing that type of data as we move, I think, towards more of a consumer-based model is the data integrity. So that you know, we as physicians can hear something, we translate it into some Latin term and we make a ICD-10 diagnosis of it. Well, the data guys love that because it's quantifiable, measurable, and you can do different things with it. But when a patient says that exact same thing, but in their own terms and words, it doesn't mean the same to the machine to be able to do that machine learning, to be able to do that language associated with it. So I think that, that we sometimes call it data normalization or data standardization. As we push more and more towards consumerism, how do we gather data that can be used in a certain way for the things Mike's talking about, about knowledge creation and discovery and research and clinical trials and all those things that allow us as quaternary care centers and university centers to be able to discover and, and learn the next generation to be able to turn around vaccines in such a short period of time. How do we do that? And so I see that as one of the bigger challenges moving forward. I think it's a great challenge to have because it is so important from my perspective for the patient to own their own healthcare and the patient to own their own data, but it does change the dynamic for us in healthcare and healthcare IT specifically on how to manage the integrity of that data. Again, all in a cyber safe, secure way. That's a great point. And, and so interesting to think about how cybersecurity really is informing almost everything we do today. And it has become such a big aspect of, you know, any organization, but especially for healthcare yeah. organizations. 
Um, now, before we wrap up the conversation, I have one more final question for you both. Um, and Chris, we'll start with you. What is the biggest problem in healthcare today that you think IT could solve in the future? Oh my. <laughs> and I can do this without cost, right? It doesn't, you know, I don't have to worry about the cost or anything like right. that. This, this is what color can I paint the sky? Of course, the sky is Penn State blue, but um, I, I would say that, you know, what are the things that, that can solve? I think it's that uh, facilitating consumerism. I really do. I think it's the mobility aspect of it. It's to be able to put the, the power of healthcare into the hands of the consumer. For the consumers to be able to interact with healthcare systems in a way that they want to, in a way that is cost effective, and in a way that allows them to own their data, whether they, you know, go on vacation to LA and see Mike in his clinic, or they come out to Hershey and go on vacation out here, it doesn't matter. The ultimate way would be for them to own their own data. Today, that's very difficult. And they don't not only own their own data, we have to have our systems working together with multiple different vendors and multiple different interplays to allow that to happen for me to even see one of Mike's patients in my emergency department, right? So it's very difficult to say. So I would say, you know, with some cooperation, maybe with some leadership that we can align to interoperability in a way that was intended to be. So that patient at the center, being able to get the data that in their context makes the most sense, but in our context as clinicians or as healthcare IT professionals makes the most sense. And, and healthcare and IT can do that. And healthcare IT can have those translation tables. They can look at this data in a way differently than in, in this context differently. So, you know, that's a really big deal. That's not an easy solve. That's not magical. But the things we talked about, about data integrity, about, about data integrity, about AI, about machine learning, about voice recognition and natural language processing, the ambient understanding of a situation, their zip code or their ability to get um, food to, to be, you know, um, not where next meal is coming from. Those things are really impactful to health. So, and that's what's important to that person, that patient. So I think that we have to enable technology to allow patients to be healthier um, as a society. And then we as healthcare providers, if we need to provide care in intermittent places, that's great. If we can facilitate them to be healthier, that's even better. Yeah, I mean, my answer is similar. It's, it's solving health disparities. Um, I, I think the only way to do that is going to be to harness the power of health IT in ways we, we don't understand yet. There's, there's a tremendous amount of research, but there's way more that needs to be done to really understand this. Uh, it's, it's powering patients. It's solving health literacy problems. It's understanding socioeconomic determinants of health, which we do a poor job capturing right now in electronic health record. Uh, but is probably more responsible for health than your genomics and genetics, right? So it, it, that's, I think we have to do that. So I, I uh, you know, I think it's a problem we have to solve. And I do believe that healthcare IT can, can do that, can help solve that problem. Um, and, you know, COVID has really brought health disparities to light in, in, in terms of the effects of this virus and pandemic. And it just highlights the fact that we've spent a lot of time, you know, capturing little data on patient visits, but 
not enough time really capturing the entire patient, which has to do with uh, social determinants of health. So I, I think there's a real opportunity here. And that's what I would like to see health IT solve in the future. Wouldn't it be amazing if, 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 if we went into a, a visit with a patient with a virtual inpatient and we could know what's important to that patient? It may have nothing to do with, I'm worried about their cholesterol level or I'm worried about their blood. It could be about, you know, they're worried about their next meal or it could be like their dog's sick or something that's really important. If we can harness that technology, those social determinants of health, those real life situations in a way that we can get back to providing care if the way care is, is intended to be provided between person to person. I, I, think, I think Mike's right. I mean, technology has the opportunity to enable uh, such possibilities. And, um, and, and we've got a lot of smart people around the nation to be able to do it. And I, I hope your, your people who you know, are spending their time with you today or spending time with us today uh, will allow themselves to think a little bit about it in that way. Yeah, I, I love that. And it, it's funny because when I, when I, a lot of times when I hear presentations from my residents, we, you know, we start, this is a 58 year old male, past medical history and all these things. And I always stop and say, what's the chief complaint? And it kind of goes back to, you know, this is way back, way, way back, right? The, the chief complaint, why, in the patient's words, uh, why are they seeking your care? And it could be, Chris, exactly what you said. I mean, they may be concerned about something that when we look at their labs, uh, we're concerned about this, but that's not really what they're concerned about. And ultimately, if we don't address what uh, our patients are concerned about, even if we, you know, you know, improve their sepsis or, or whatever, it ultimately doesn't, you know, get to where we need to be. So that, that's where I think there's such a huge opportunity. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. Take some time and, and some persistent effort. We'll get there. You both have laid out such a fantastic vision of what healthcare could be in the future. I'm excited that both of you are part of the leaders in this uh, country that will be able to take us there. So looking forward to continue to discuss these topics and others with you both in the future. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.